Welcome to Catholic Radio for Katie Anna's presentation of Cajun Catholics. Here's your host, Todd Citron. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, amen. Amen. Heavenly Father, we come before you as we begin this new year to open our hearts to receive your word, your spirit, your truth, the wisdom that you are incarnate. We ask that you open our minds so we may see you more clearly and follow you more boldly. For you are the way, the truth, and the life. We ask all this through Christ our Lord. Amen. 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 Father, Son, Holy Spirit. Amen. You're listening to Cajun Catholics. I'm your host, Todd Citron. Really excited today to have Father Blake Dubrock. He is the Vocations Director at the Roman Catholic Diocese here in Lafayette. Welcome to the show, Blake. Thanks, Todd. It's a pleasure to be here. Now, when I hear Father Blake, I'm all, I'm, uh, I have a grandson named Blake, and we're already grooming him, and you're the Vocations Director, so I'm like immediately Father Blake Bajeron is what I'm thinking, but... <laughs> We're grooming a good one for you. So tell us a little bit about yourself. I like that, though. That's that's beautiful. <laughs> keep keep grooming. Um, my name is Father Blake Dubrock. I'm from uh, Avalos Parish from Marksville, Louisiana. Uh, graduated from Marksville High School there and went to uh, Louisiana State University in Baton Rouge, went to LSU, graduated with a degree in political science, uh, moved to Shreveport for a little while. Um, I was managing a trucking company, then moved to South Louisiana here in Acadiana, um, and I had my own insurance business for a number of years before I entered seminary formation uh, at the age of 27, got ordained to the priesthood of Jesus Christ in 2018 with the Centennial Seven, Kevin Sabbath, and the Centennial Year of the Diocese with seven other men, six other men. Uh, it's been a great privilege and really uh, to be a priest of Jesus Christ in this diocese for the last three and a half years. Nice, nice. So uh, in Marksville, tell mm-hmm. me a little bit about um, if when you hear Cajun Catholics, what comes to mind, especially in your hometown? Oh, man. So most people think that we're not like French or Cajun up there, but the reality is it's called the Cajun Crossroads. Uh-huh. Um, but it's not particularly Cajun. It's not from Acadie. Um, it's French settled by about 53 families that came straight from France. They settled in the Pointe Capie and Avals Parish area. And so it's really kind of um, French. Uh, Parisian French. Um, but in those families, whenever I hear certain last names, such as like Lemoyne, Laborde, Bardelon, Dozat, Lachenay, Gaspard, like all those are very um, of all parish. And anywhere in the, in the state, you hear that it's from France, from that area. So we, we kind of the capstone of the Acadiana area in the sense we do have, but we're not particularly Cajun, even though we blend, obviously, because my grandparents, everyone around there, spoke French on regular basis. Well, so the yeah. capstone is the cornerstone, right? Is that? That's is that I like that. Exactly. <laughs> I was like, I mean, like, we're on the top of the Acadian area, so most people don't think, but you cross the river, um, Red River over there into Rapids Parish, and it's a totally different world. Yeah, it's, I mean, you uh, know, but when you think yeah. of Red River, you, you know, we're talking redneck a little bit. That's right. Know? I mean, that's, that's right. way north of I-10. Now, I went to one of your masses at uh, Holy Cross, and uh, you mentioned that you know, you moved to Shreveport and then you moved back into the state. I heard you say that. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and I like that a lot. Yeah. You know, yeah, there's a big divide, right? I mean, uh, but we live in such a great place. And, uh, you know, so yeah. you like Lafayette? I do. I love this place. Yeah. Uh, it's been... I, I felt a draw to come here. My uh, dad had went to school here at USL at the time. My sister um, had come to school here. And then I just, I would come here during college, visit friends and stuff. And there's just something unique about it. And I certainly believe the Lord drew me to this area because of its Catholicity. It was actually the right soil for the the seed that he had already planted in my heart to become a priest could never have flourished 
in Baton Rouge because of the environment that I had put myself in. Mm -hmm. Never in Shreveport, not even in home, I don't think. I could have responded. But it was because he had asked me to come here, even for work, that I really fell in love or I had the freedom, really, to respond um, authentically to what was going on in my heart because the environment, the culture, the people expressed it so naturally and authentically. And so I, I really am grateful for the already Catholic Cajun area that actually just gave me the freedom to respond to what was going on in my heart. So when people think of vocations, you know, the average layperson just believe that a priest is always a priest, that priest that they've, they've, they've never dated or any of that, you know, and I, I think that is a common misconception. I really do. And, um, and, and with you, though, going to LSU, and I, I kind of read a little bit that you had had a girlfriend at one time. So, so just describe to our listeners, hey, you had a, how, how was that prior to your call? Yeah, I think uh, with most people, and myself included, you kind of think uh, priests come from this mold or a bubble, of, and it's always been part of their, uh, their understanding or DNA of who they are. But the reality is priests come from families, just like yours, yeah. Todd, just like anybody listening to this, like— we don't get to choose, right, if we're, we're called to some degree. We get to choose to respond to the call, but the call in vocare, which is where we get the word vocation, vocata, you get voice, you get those. There's something within us that calls all of us to something. It's the reason why um, you love what you love. It's the reason why a teacher feels called to be a teacher or a nurse feels called, like, drawn to be there to be a nurse and to serve in that capacity. There's something within that um, you hear this voice, and we know it's from our Lord, that is drawing you to fulfill that. And that just happens in, it can happen in anyone's heart, yeah. right? There's not, it doesn't, there's not a preconceived condition that must be set forth for that to happen. We hear radical conversion stories of young men and women who aren't even Catholic that get called by God to lay down their life for him in the particular vocation, religious, or, or, or consecrated life. And so I certainly came from a very like normal, um, you know, standard South Louisiana family. And so it was very shocking to me that this call was there and to my family, because especially with my buddies that I grew up with, they were like, you know, wait, you, what, we know you. Like, and that's part of the fear sometimes is like, I know me. I know what I've gone through. I know what I've struggled with. I know uh, my downfalls, my pits. Why would God ask of this of me? But the reality, when we look back from the apostolic foundation, look who he called. He called men who had their net, their hands tied in nets, you know, and, and men who would trouble forgiving each other you know when peter says how many times must i forgive my brother seven times like no seven times 70 this constant uh interaction of us living in families that are broken that are messes living in society common goals of like hunting fishing sports like uh, god calls men from so many different areas and so just to live that actually allows me to help see that in other people too so uh, uh, beautiful, and you're in the right profession, obviously, and uh, in, the, in the right vocation. And being the vocation, I can hear the enthusiasm in your voice, and that's exciting. I agree. Like when I think of the call, I think of Jesus gazing at us and, and us answering that call, you know, and it's something that once that touches your heart, for me, just like you want so much more of that, you know, and uh, I guess for to be a priest, it's, it's even more. So again, <clears throat> touch on your, your – uh, I'm going to ask you the question, are you the best athlete in the Roman Catholic uh, Diocese of Lafayette? 
yes? <laughs> oh, that's a good one. Uh, I, I think probably Schumacher and I would contend. Uh, <laughs> yeah. We, we do have some very athletic men, some very athletic priests. I think we all have our different skill sets. We might have a guy who's better at baseball. Right. I'll even shout out Father Matt A. Bear is really good athlete, baseball, uh, different football. I would probably take the football. Trophy, okay. Right? Okay. I played uh, quarterback and receiver. I got recruited to go do a little bit of that at some small schools. And I would give the basketball trophy to Father Schumacher. Really? Yeah. <laughs> okay. I went and played basketball at Cathedral uh, uh, not that long ago, and I'm too old to be doing that, but my, my son-in-law drugged me over there. But Father Shears got – and I saw you were kind of doing that too. Y'all had some pickup games, and what a great way to minister to our people. Huh? It is fun. I, what I thought when I was kind of – entering seminary, one of my fears of not becoming a priest was I thought these gifts that the Lord had given me would be taken from me. I thought like the Lord is going to take all my joys, my I can't share these gifts. And what happens is while I was willing to offer those to God, right, I was willing to say, all right, Lord, if you really call me this, I'm willing to sacrifice this to you. Almost like Abraham bringing his son Isaac. He was willing to do it out of faith. And then what happens is the Lord says, no, no, no. I want to use your gifts to spread the kingdom. So just loving football and baseball, growing up playing those, and basketball, golf, tennis. What has happened in my priesthood, like really in a shock to me, is that that has been become, become a key relationship builder and me becoming fully alive. I've coached football and baseball for a high school level. It, during my priesthood, I, uh, I started playing tennis a lot more, uh, golf tournaments, things like that. So my relationship building is, and my love of just athleticism and sports has actually come alive and allowed my priesthood to flourish because it's what the God, God wants us to do with our gift. He doesn't rob us of those things. And that's typical fear when we're calling. We're feel the call by God, uh, but the reality is he wants to use the gifts he has endowed us with to spread his kingdom. All right, I want to talk some sports with you, especially oh. LSU. You know, tell me who inspires you, uh, who, who's your favorite LSU athlete, uh, being an LSU alumni, and also a question would be like, um, who, who, what if, if coaching, and I coached as well, you know, where do you see Christ in sports today? Because sometimes that can be hard. It is. Um, primarily, I think coaches have a responsibility to young men to form them to be men, right? And you never have more of a captive audience than men listening to you. Certainly the X's and O's are important, but you get an opportunity to teach men how to be men, how to transition from boyhood to manhood and take responsibility and the sacrifice necessary for team sports is also the sacrifice necessary in life, in fatherhood, um, in spousal relationships, um, in all relationships as brothers. So I see that one, my high school football coach um, was super influential in my life, right? That with that, just leading me towards goodness, paying attention to me. Um, I'll kind of go and just say I'm outside of LSU bounds on this one. Coach uh, Robichaux around here is oh, yeah. a truly inspiring man, and he really lived that, right? Yes. That he said, when I get to the pearly gates, um, St. Peter is not going to ask me how many national championships I have, Sun Belt championships. He's going to say, what are you going to do with the thousands of, what have you done with the thousands of young men that I have brought before you? Have you brought them closer to me? Mm -hmm. uh, so a lot of the LSU guys that I've been inspired by kind of have that uh kind of that same mantra. I don't know why I've always kind of looked up to Matt Mock, right? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I was, His I was name's kinda, come up recently. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Flynn, guys that led with integrity. Yeah. I like men that are fully integrated in who they are. They know their weaknesses, they know their strength, and they're willing to lead anyway. Yeah. And so guys like that have been very influential in my life. Uh, uh, I mean, and, and seeing, I was a, more of a receivers guy, so um, 
a lot of great receivers of the past. That LSU has a, has a plethora of them, but the ones who actually do it with integrity, I, I yeah. respect. I don't. You remember Wendell Davis? I do remember. Yeah, that, that was yeah. one of my guys. You know, Hotson to Davis, baby. That was my man. Uh, so that's that's good stuff. I was uh, an early two thousands guy to late nineties. So the booties from uh, Shreveport yeah, area, yeah. Josh Booty and Aaron Booty. There's some heretics, aren't they? I think they're not. I'm just kidding. <laughs> I don't I'm know. just kidding. I don't no, know. no, no, I'm just kidding about that. They did go to Evangel. Yeah, yeah, yeah right, 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 right. Uh, so you know, uh, that's awesome. Well, um, I read about you that about you had some dreams early in life that uh, that you had died at a young age. T- tell us that story. Oh man, so I don't know. I think. The church has always asked us to keep death before our our eyes, right? To keep death before us as a means of like living this life fully for goodness sake. And I remember probably around uh, when I first felt the call to the priest around 15 years old. Throughout high school, I really thought like I was going to die. Like at 30 something years old, my 33, uh, I was going to die. Like, and I was kind of being okay with that. So I was kind of living a, a pretty hard in that sense. Um, like it was more than a dream. Like you really were convinced. Well, there was these moments, like these inspired yeah. moments of like something's drastically going to change in your life. And death is that only thing mm. that's going to come to mind. Um, and so as I entered seminary formation, the, the reality of I would be ordained at 33 years old, the same uh, year Christ himself died, um, just became really real to me. And it's the Lord uses that. He uses literal and figurative realities in sacred scripture and in our own lives. So I remember getting off the, right, the, the marble uh, altar, the marble um, sanctuary floor, just kind of coming alive again as a new man and thinking, I just died to self. Like, I have ontologically changed to a priest of Jesus Christ, and I'm ready to go live that more radically. And I'll, I'll be honest, too, Ty. Like, uh, it's not it's not that death still doesn't come to my thoughts and my minds. Rather, that's in the next 10 years or 40 years. But the, the reality is now I would never change a thing about my life. Like, I feel like I'm fully doing. There's nothing like, oh, I need to go do this beforehand or this or I need to talk to more. Nope. Every day, I just feel so fulfilled that I'm living out what God has asked me to do that I kind of like, all right, Christ is life and death is gain. So it's this openness to life. And again, I don't know the reality of that, how figuratively, uh, literally, spiritually that reality is, but I just love that we do that as Catholics, that we don't fear death because it's the transition into our eternal reality. Ooh, man, this guy's on fire. I want to remind our listeners, you're listening to Cajun Catholics. Today's guest is Father Blake Dubrock. He is the vocations director for the diocese. And in a, using a sports analogy, uh, Father Blake, do you actually recruit these seminarians or, or do you get them after they've sort of raised their hand? Yeah, that's a great call. That's a great question. Because I feel like I can't make a call happen in anybody's heart. Right, and no one becomes the uh, a priest of Jesus Christ because of who the vocations director is. What they, what happens is they, in some sense, have to reach out. So what I can do, sports analogy, I get to like scan the field and see the and see like, all right, where does this young man is he is he being called? Does he have the gifts, this, the talents, or at least the draws? He's showing up. Does he know prayer? Does he desire to pray? Is he in the field, doing the work now in ministry, then I want to ask this guy, hey, have you considered the priesthood? Have you considered laying your life down in the manner in which you already feel naturally called to do that? So if you got guys in the field like a receiver with certain stats and you everyone's kind of looking at this guy to be a good father and a good husband, well, then why not? Can't he be a priest of Jesus Christ and be a good father in that way and a, and a really um, love the church in that spousal way? So I kind of, when people reach out, 
primarily I help them foster that call and say, let's discern and see if that's real. Let's continue almost like let's go through a trial run. Let me go watch your combine, right? Right, like, right, right, And right. your combine is what's prayer life like? How where is this? How long has this been there? Right? What do you desire to like lay your da- life down? There's a sacrificial. So I kind of go through that combine regimen when I meet with them. Pro day at the seminary, <laughs> that's sort of. Right. Yeah. So what's the average age of a person that that would be discerning the, the priesthood these days? Man, average age it it varies. When I got into seminary formation, the average age at the minor seminary was 25 years old. That's that's old. It was a little older than we had a yeah. big group of young men that had already um kind of had some life experience and went in. Four years later, the average age was 19, and that's okay. a big shift. It is right. So the Lord just uh, calls whenever He sees most most fitting for a, a different group and and of people. So right now, the average age again, it's it's fairly young. It's about uh, about 20 years old. Okay, and and the seminarians that you're uh, in charge of or dealing with, uh, they're all at St. Ben's, or we have eleven guys at St. Ben's who are in minor uh, seminary formation. Mm-hmm. We have seven guys at Notre Dame Seminary, which is a major theologate. We have one guy at the NAC, the North American College in Rome, um, who's finishing up his time there. Um, we have one guy at Holy Trinity Seminary, again, uh, that's in Dallas. He goes to the University of Dallas. And we have one young man who's in uh, the novitiate formation at Community of Jesus Crucified. So we're kind of all over the place. Um, we're about really half and half with undergrad and, and kind of grad school guys now. Okay. And we've got some great new priests. I, I know Father Casey Duga and uh, Father John Joseph was on the show. And uh, just we got a lot of good, got a lot of good things going. We do. If I'd plug a little bit. I've done, once I realized um, the demographics of the young priests that we had here based on ESPN's 30 for 30 series uh-huh. I made on our social media website and website uh, so on our Facebook page Lafayette Vocations we have a 30 in their 30s video series and so the 30 in their 30 is to realize we have 30 priests in their 30s for the diocese which is profound that's awesome not many dioceses can say the same in fact we have on a very young presbyterate from the age of 27 to 45 we have uh, 39 priest, mm. which is a, over, almost half of the priesthood. So, you know, um, I've heard it said recently, you know, and I like this, it said uh, a, a sad saint is a sad saint. And, uh, you know, I think that, again, to wrap around our conversation about uh, raising your hand to be a seminarian or a priest, that you think that it's got to be this sad thing and you got to give up sports and all these other things. And, uh I see with you the joy of the Lord, you know, and and there's nothing greater than that, I I can tell you for sure. And, uh, you know, I think that, yeah, I mean, wouldn't you agree? Like, uh, Uh, I absolutely agree. And I I think it's interesting because, again, you anticipate this kind of sadness. But if, if you look at the cross, Todd, like it doesn't look like he's a God that wants to take something from us, right? He's a God who has his hands open, ready to give us the world. I remember about a month into my seminary formation, after I had let go of all these kind of ideas of what I thought my one in my world to be, I was sitting in this 11 by 14 foot room, this dorm. I had never lived in a dorm in my life. And uh, I remember thinking, I am more free in this little room than I have ever been anywhere in the world. Mm -hmm. And it was a real authentic freedom, a peace and a joy that has really never left me. And I remember thinking at that moment, too, I want everyone to have this freedom. Mm -hmm. And all it means for them is to respond to God's will to them, whether that's priesthood or not. Right. Just do what you're called to do. And that freedom is available to everyone. So my mission, I remember from that moment and thinking, I want everyone to be able to live this life freely um, of what God has asked of them because there's no greater joy than that. 
I have this huge devotion to the rosary, and today um, that, that we're taping this show, um, second mystery is uh, the wedding at Cana, and the grace in my in my little novena book is um, is um, what's the grace for that? I'm, I'm, I'm hitting a, hitting the wall here. The gra- the grace is vocations. It's uh, it's um, uh, you know it's priestly vocations and marriage vocations. I don't know if that's actually the uh, uh, grace because today's uh, is the mysteries of light. Uh, we're taping here on a, on a uh, Thursday, and so you know my old novena book had all the graces, and maybe you can correct me, but in the new the mysteries of light, I, don't, I haven't found a novena book that showed the grace, so I had to make my own up. So for me, again, uh, for the uh, wedding at Cana, it's vocations. And so I'm praying today, this morning, coming to this, knowing you and I are going to meet, and uh, talk, praying for vocations, both 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 marital and priestly. And bam, I mean, I don't know, that was my Holy Spirit ping this morning. Yeah, it's beautiful. You know? Yeah, and I think yeah. maybe just to understand vocations, because the church understands it in three different tiers. One, you're, everyone is called to holiness, right? That's the fundamental vocation. So holiness is to do the will of God, right? And you can do that in any state of life, right? You can do it as a child. You can do it as a middle-aged man or woman. You can do it in your later years as a widow, right? You're called to holiness in life, and that gives you the most freedom. Then we're called to a state of life. And so the particular state of life is a life of service. That's either a consecrated, priestly, or religious life or the vocation to marriage, which is a natural vocation. So everyone has the natural vocation to marriage. Some are called for the sake of the kingdom to forego the good of that that marriage, um, the good of that natural, beautiful vocation for to lay their lives down in a consecrated religious or priestly life. So that's another tier. And then finally, we have this like, charism, this life of doing what God has called you to do through the gifts you have been given, which is why it's most people find peace if they're called to teach, to go teach rather than to forego that good because you don't think you're going to make enough money. My job is to educate the whole diocese on those particular tiers so that they can live a life free in whatever God calls them to do. First, state of life, holiness, grow in holiness now. Choose your state of life that God has asked of you, whether it's marriage or consecrated religious priestly life. And then also, I think people still get confused is what is God calling you to do with your gifts? Because many, right, wake up and aren't doing and living a, a life of freedom and happiness because they bound in a job that they can't stand. They, like, and the Lord doesn't want that for you either. And I understand there's certain obligations we have to have to fulfill some of the other roles, like your spousal relationships that you need to provide for your family. But the Lord will also provide for you if you listen to him, right, and you follow his will, the freedom to do all those things. Amen. Um, so here's a a question that I wrestle with in my mind. And so whether it's a vocation for marriage or a vocation for the priesthood, I think this is a question that our listeners would, would, would relate to. Is it, is it a, a choice of the mind or the heart? Like, I think people wrestle with, should I do the things that my mind tells me? Or is it something I should go with my heart? Yeah, I think that's what discernment is, right? It's a sifting through the, both of those things. Um, and we're hylomorphic. We're, we're body-soul composite. We're, we're heart and mind unitive. So the, the mind informs the heart, but then the heart also convicts and moves the mind to make decisions. If, if you're saying mind in the sense of the worldly understanding of certain things, which I, I kind of hear that connotation, and the heart is in the Christ-centered understanding of things or like just kind of this free living, then... There has to be a reconciliation, and it's not going to be perfect in this yeah. world, what we know of, right? What I would say is, and if you've done this on any level, you follow the heart, 
and dismiss some of the fears that come from the mind because that's typically what comes. It's fears as to why this won't be worked, yeah. why this won't be successful. Follow the heart, trust God, and watch how the mind reconciles itself to what the heart has been urging, which means when I say again heart, I mean this call deep within that begs of a trust that begs of an abandonment and begs of an act of faith. Now the mind can condition some of that and should do it prudently, but not to be like trapped by the world's understandings of what you ought to be doing and dismiss the heart. So I would encourage an individual to trust the heart for a moment and watch how the mind and everything configures and the freedom comes from that union, that integrity. I know you're a competitive guy and I'll ask this question. I don't know who did the job before you, and I'm not exactly sure how long you've been doing your job. I'm curious. But um, but what does success look like for you? Yeah. Um, I think it's easy to look at numbers to be success, right? Like, oh, how many seminarians we have this year? Or how many? But that's not actually the case in by any means. And um, because what my job is often, which most people don't realize, is also to filter mm-hmm. those young men who think they're called but don't, that aren't called. Mm-hmm. And that happens. That's probably, and people are like, wait, people are called and you're going to say no? Well, I also have a voice for the church and I have, I see this, um, what it looks like and what it doesn't look like. And people get into different jobs for different reasons, yeah. right? So the my what I success is finding the men and women that are authentically called by God, giving them the power um, through their knowledge, through truth, through a, a support to respond to that call and whatever that is. Now, if that's fifty seminarians, praise be Jesus Christ. Do I think God's calling that many? Yes. Um, do will that many come? I don't know. It's based on we as a society, this uh, Cajun Catholic area. Or have we created an environment where people can freely respond to whatever it is God is calling them to do and encouraging them to do that? Because we're not just listening to the heart of the voice of the world, but we as a community are listening to the voice and the heart from within, the voice of God. That creates. So success is having a culture be able to um, kind of breed that ground for a fertile ground for men and women to respond freely. So part of that is education on a large part, uh, but part of it is giving, is encouraging young men and women to respond if they feel that call. So success to me is like people to find that freedom in whatever manner that is. Yeah, I, if I could share some uh, some of my life experience and uh, in, in business is like <clears throat> sometimes people come to you to buy a car and and it's not right. You know, uh, the car's not right, the payment's too much, you can't afford it, or or maybe there's a bunch of other reasons why you shouldn't buy a car. And, and it's hard to be in the car business and say to somebody, hey, you shouldn't buy that car. Uh, it's not right for you. You know, it's uh, not the time. It's not the place. And, and I think you build credibility that way. That's truthfulness. And, and, and that is success. I'm kind of answering my own question for you and me. Well, I think it's you beautiful. That, that's absolutely true, yeah. right? People come, and I want what's best for you, and sometimes you don't even know what that is right, right now because you have an idea or a notion. But trust me, you've been in the car business long enough to where yeah. you can see these situations have actually not worked out best for the customer. Absolutely. And, and because you have that knowledge, and the church has that knowledge, and, and in some degree, like the Lord has given me the grace to have that knowledge for the sake of his church. So sometimes it is that. Look, look this is not going to work out for, for either party. Yeah, that's beautiful. You know, my grandpa walked around with a rosary uh, many years, and, and there was an old fable that uh, this man came in and saved his whole life to buy this fancy sports car. And my grandfather knew his parents and said, hey, I'm going to sell you that car, but you're not going to drive it off without insurance. And the guy wanted to take it without insurance. And he said, I'm not going to let you do that. Your parents wouldn't allow that. And uh, I'll park it in the back. And when you have enough money to pay for insurance, then you can take it, you know. And so that's a good story. You know, uh, I think, you know, for me, like the car business is spiritual for me, but I, I 
I'm so happy to meet you today, and I can't wait to duck hunt with you. You, you hunted recently with Father Andrew and at, at our place, and uh, and you're just a blessing to Acadiana. And uh, it's been great sharing. I wish this show could go on forever. <laughs> Thanks, Todd. It's been a pleasure here just to kind of share uh, my love for what God is asking so many people in this world to do is just to follow him. And I just want to encourage everybody to follow that Lord, that voice from within with good, like prudent guidance, with good spiritual direction. Love it. How do they reach you if, if they need to? So LafayetteVocations.com, um, LafayetteVocations.org, or you can check on the diocese website. And we have a number at 337-261-5690. All right, Father, Father Blake Dubrock, thank you so much for being here today. You're a blessing to us all. Thanks, God bless you. I'll be praying for you. You've been listening to Cajun Catholics with Father Blake Dubrock. I'm your host, Todd Citron. Until next time, engage the Cajun Catholic in you. God bless.